Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing as good as you look. We want to welcome all those who are watching us via the internet through one of these things. I don't know which one works now, but uh, they can see me. I just can't see them yet. This is uh, Matthew 10, 34 39, is probably one of the most challenging uh, passages uh, we read in trying to understand the meaning of it. To, to a lot of people, it seems harsh. This is Jesus of Nazareth. He's the one speaking. And these are his words and what he has to say. And, of course, he only spoke truth. So he means what he says. But it seems like it's so hard to, to live with because of uh, what he requires of us. So I thought we would discuss it a little bit and see what we can glean from his teaching. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his, his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Now he who loves father or mother more than me, he's not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me, well, he's not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me, he's not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Challenging words, to say the least. I can remember a time when these words just shook me to my foundation because... Uh, I don't know, I thought it was kind of hard. And uh, I struggled with this for some time back when I first became a Christian. It's hard to think of the Messiah as talking about his coming with a sword. The sword is known as the instrument of war. That's the way uh, the Romans used it. Well, that's the way all nations had used it up to this point. In uh, the 13th chapter of Romans, Paul talks about the sword as uh, being a weapon of punishment. This is how people had their heads cut off, was with a sword. When they committed a capital crime, the Roman government would uh, bend them over uh, a chunk of wood or something, and they would take a sword and cut his head off. And when you think about a sword, you think about a, a weapon, a weapon, and it's, uh, it's hard to imagine Jesus uh, wielding a weapon but he said he did do not think do not entertain the thought that I came to bring peace on earth that sounds strange right off the bat because you remember Isaiah referred to Jesus as the prince of peace he's, he's reportedly a, a man of peace and now he's saying don't think that that's what I came for that's not my purpose I didn't come to make peace. <clears throat> I came instead to bring a sword, uh, a weapon, a weapon that he would use. He would weaponize and uh, use it as an instrument of war. And we struggle, and, and we start struggling even more as his speech uh, continues. I want to take a pause for just a moment and think about something uh, that happened uh, in the beginning of time. Uh, there's a point I want to make and let you hold on to it for a little bit 
and we'll come back to it directly. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Absolute blackness is what was created on day one, uh, in addition to whatever material God created. But it was utter darkness. There was no light. It was just black. And that's the way God created the earth initially. We move on in verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. A light came into existence. That, of course, was the sun. And God saw the light that it was good. It was good to have this sun. And God divided the light from the darkness. Remember, in particular, that statement. God divided light from darkness. I suppose there's a lot of ways God could have created the heavens and the earth. There were uh, many avenues at his disposal. But he, he picked this particular way to bring the creation into existence and then recorded it for posterity so that you and I today could read about what happened 6,000 years ago and we could know how the world came into existence. But God divided the light from darkness. They were to be separated from one another. And there's reasons for that. I don't want to go into it now, but it had to be that way. If there is light, there can't be darkness. And if there is darkness, there can be light because light, unlike darkness, is active and moves and varies. Satan is referred to as the ruler of this world that we live in. In Luke 4, 5, and 6, the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to the Lord, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. God gave it to me, and I can give it to whomever I wish. He was endowed with the power and was going to use the power if the Lord would just fall down and worship him. The thing to remember is that Satan was endowed with the power of the world's kingdoms. In Revelation chapter 13 and verse 2, John wrote, I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. We learn later that this beast that he's referring to is the Roman Empire, uh, in particular personified in the emperor of Rome at that time. This is a beast that came up out of the, the earth, had seven heads, ten horns, on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth was like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, who is Satan in this picture, the dragon gave this beast his power, his throne, and his great authority. The dragon, Satan, raised up the empire and in particular, for the sake of discussion, uh, Caesar. He was, on, he was his puppet. A little bit later in the chapter, uh, the empire will raise up another beast. It looks like a lamb, but it speaks like the first beast, which was a, a pagan religion. So Satan raised up this Romish beast, and the Romish beast raised up religion. Now, between the two, the Roman Empire and this pagan religion, 
Between the two, they were going to do battle with the Church of Christ on earth. And they would torment her and did torment her for some time, about two, three hundred years, as the book of Revelation continues. In 1 John 5 and 9, we know that we are of God, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, that's Satan. I'm trying to point out to you the authority that Satan exercises in this world. And he did. In John 12, 31, also 14, 30, and 16, 11, we're told that Satan is the ruler of this world. Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world, of course, is Satan. In Ephesians 6 and 12, Paul said, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. They ruled the world. Satan is the ruler of the world. This is his domain. He, has, he exercises great authority, authority that was given to him by God. God permits him to exercise this authority. God is a sovereign ruler, but God frequently allows others to exercise a limited authority. For example, in the family, the man is the head of the household. In the church, the elders are to oversee the church. God can delegate authority when he chooses to do so, and in this case, he delegated authority to Satan. He gave him authority to exercise his wiles, as Paul would call them, in this world. Now, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, John 8, verse 12. You can see what's happening as light comes into the world. Jesus came into the world. As Jesus, the light, came into the world, he broke up the darkness. He, did, he divided the light from the darkness. Okay? Something he did in the beginning when he created the earth and it was void and black and he created the light. He divided the light and the darkness. And now, once again, he's doing the same thing. When he came into the world, he divided the light from the darkness. And he said, he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I'm wanting to think about Jesus as the light of this world and what that entails, what that means. It's a complex subject. I hope I can break it down where it's understandable. Uh, I may flub miserably. I've never tried this before. Uh, I hope I can do it in such a way that you uh, can understand uh, what's otherwise very difficult and challenging. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And the sword would divide the light from the darkness. And it did. He said again in Luke chapter 12, verse 51, Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. Division. Jesus came to divide. He didn't come to make peace. He came to divide people. That there would be these and those. Two groups. He's dividing people now. Once again, the light from the darkness. Satan's domain is darkness. Jesus' domain is light. 
Satan has people in his domain. Jesus has people in his domain. There's a lot of division taking place, which has always happened throughout the Bible. But uh, here it is in the beginning of the Christian era. And uh, I hope uh, we can see this. <clears throat> Jesus divided people with a sword. He divided light and darkness. In Hebrews 4 and 12, he said, The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And he goes on to say how the sword of the Lord can divide things. And he did. When he came into the world, he commenced dividing the light and the darkness. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then the hard part comes. I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies be those of his own household. I hate the thoughts of my son and my, myself being divided from one another, but it's possible. It is possible. And if it does happen, I have to make a decision. I have to make a choice because this is what the Lord's requiring of me. Let's do the light and darkness division and see if we can understand it. Jesus said, I have come to set a man against his father. Now you notice I put the man in the light and the father in the darkness. The difference between the man and the father under discussion is the sphere in which they walk. The man walks in the light, his daddy walks in darkness. And Jesus is saying, in essence, you can't put your father over me. You can't abide by the wishes of your father. You've got to abide by my wishes. You can't make a decision to side with your father over me. Because if you do, you're not worthy of me. And then he goes down the line. I have come to set a daughter against her mother. I have come to set a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. I have come to set a man's enemies will be those of his own household. People will be divided with the sword of the Lord, separating light and darkness. Because some people are in light and some people are in darkness. Some people choose the way of life. Some people choose the way of darkness. And by their very choices, they create a division between themselves. Because you can't walk in the light and walk in the darkness at the same time. A choice has to be made. That's what our Lord is talking about. What I thought seemed so harsh for such a long, long time wasn't really harsh at all. It was inevitable. If I was going to truly follow the Son of God, I would have to sever ties with those who would try to persuade me to do something that the Lord did not want me to do. And that's the point he makes. And then he goes on to say, he who loves father or mother more than me, he who sides with his father over me, well, he's not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me, he's not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me, he's not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's the same thing. It's light and darkness once again. Love father or mother more than me, you remain in the darkness. Love son or daughter more than me, you remain in the darkness. If you won't take your cross and follow after me, you remain in the darkness. If you find your life, you pursue your own life, you remain in the darkness. But if you'll lose your life for my sake, you'll find life in the light. It's not 
as hard when we understand what the context our Lord was speaking in. And it's a whole lot more attractive and reasonable that it has to be this way because light and darkness cannot coexist. Light just won't allow it. <clears throat> light and darkness are mutually exclusive. They're different in every way. Darkness is uh, just darkness. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve light and darkness would be equally true. You are, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Either sin, which ultimately leads to death, or of obedience, which ultimately leads to righteousness. You make the choice. You make the call. It's your decision. God gave us that free will. But beware, because the choice we make bears certain consequences. And these are the consequences. In James 4 and 4, James said, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You can't serve God in mammon. You can't walk in the light and in the darkness at the same time. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. And once you made that choice, you can't go back. Not even if it's your father. Not even if it's your brother or your mother. You can't go back once you made your choice. Light and darkness are not opposing forces. Light and darkness are not butting heads, okay? They don't butt heads. Darkness is really nothing in, uh, in all truth. Dark is simply the absence of light. Darkness doesn't move, darkness exists, unlike light. Light, of course, you know, moves. Darkness, on the other hand, is not. When the light isn't on, it's dark. If you turn on the light, it's light, okay? Light overcomes, if you will, darkness. Light overpowers darkness. But darkness, on the other hand, is simply the absence of light. In John 8 and 12, Jesus spoke to his disciples again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Just like Satan is the, the prince of darkness, Jesus is the prince of the light. He rules over the light of the world as the light of the world. Light and darkness cannot occupy the same space at the same time. It's, it doesn't work that way. If it did, we'd be partially in light and partially in darkness at now. But you know, I know, we all know it doesn't work that way. Light moves as far as light can move, like it does in this building. Light in the Bible, of course, is attributed to the Lord, symbolic of the Lord. Darkness is symbolic of the world. The world is in darkness, but Christ is the light of the world. He shows people the way of life. Darkness is the absence of life, meaning darkness is simply darkness. It doesn't vary. Dark is dark. If there's light present, 
dark may not be as dark as dark. But if there is no light whatsoever, darkness will be what it is. Just pitch blackness. It takes light to make a difference in the shade of darkness. Light can be increased or decreased. But darkness exists only when the light is absent. Now these things may seem a little technical and unnecessary. But as far as our understanding goes about light and darkness and how, what it has to do with us, all of these technical points uh, do have a place in our understanding to help us understand more perfectly. With a little light, a dark place is no longer as dark. It doesn't take a lot. The greater the light, the less the darkness. It's up to the light whether there's darkness or the absence of light. It's up to the light to make the decision. Light and darkness are not opposing forces. Think of light. Uh, the, uh, the source of light is going to determine the circumference of light rays. For example, a candle is going to put off minimal light. Take a, a, a 50 watt bulb or a 40 watt bulb and it's going to put off more light than a candle, but it won't put off as much light as a street lamp will. The brighter the source of light, the brighter the area that the light covers. That's not hard to understand, but it applies to you and I in several different ways. Uh, no ways I can't go into today. Uh, I will get uh, a little bit. Light needs a source, that's the point. Light moves at 186,000 miles a second. It travels. Uh, if you were to turn these lights off and turn them on, it would look like the light was instantaneous, but it's not. If you could put it on super, super, super slow motion, uh, you could make it take a minute for the light bulbs to reach the wall. Because when you turn on that light, that source, the light moves from there to wherever it goes. It's stopped, of course, by this wall right here in the case of our building. And that's the way it is with this light bulb here. When you turn on this light bulb, the light goes forth from the source. And uh, you'll notice that given different points from the bulb, the density of the light is going to vary. For example, the the object that is closest to the light is going to be affected by the light more than the object that is farthest from the light, okay? You've got one object that's close to the source that has a brighter light to read from. The object that is farther from the source has a dimmer light to read from. The closer you are to the source, the easier it is to read, the easier it is to see, to comprehend, to understand what you are reading. It depends on how far you are from the source of light. Well, we know that. We do that all the time. Well, let's take that idea and apply it to us. Jesus is the source. He is the light of the world. People, as we've already read, are in darkness. Those who are closest to the source 
are affected by the density of the light, the source of light, more than those who are farther from the source. The closer you are to the source of the light, the brighter the light will shine, the more advantageous it'll be to read from the light, to see from the light. There's more light when you get close to the Lord and there's lesser light when you are far away from the Lord. Now, when you think about it, when a person becomes a Christian, they are far from the Lord as far as um, faith, commitment, love. When we first become a Christian, we have a minimal amount of this because we have no reason. We have no reason to have great faith. We have no reason to have great love. We've just started a relationship with this man. So for all practical purposes, when we become a Christian, we're at a great distance from the source of light. Whereas a person who's been a Christian for 50 or 60 years, they're going to be much closer to the light. They're going to be more affected by the light. They're going to be able to see better in the light that is cast. Take a candle. We move towards the light. From the time we're converted, we begin moving towards the light. Light moves towards us. And we may, if we choose to, move towards the light. But it takes time. It takes time. These steps are incremental. They don't happen overnight. You don't, you don't come up out of the water of baptism and all of a sudden have all faith. You've got little faith. And you've got to learn the scriptures. You've got to exercise, practice the scriptures. And as you do, your faith will increase. And, and, and the, the more your faith increases, the closer you get to the light. And the closer you get to the light, the greater your faith, the greater your knowledge. There's great advantage to being close to the light, but it takes time. It doesn't happen instantaneously. We wish it would. I know I certainly did. But it took years to have a faith that I was really confident of. It took a lot of time, and it does take time. Just as light travels towards us, even so we travel towards the light. Back in our beginning point, it was very, very much different. Now that we move closer to the source of light, we have greater knowledge, we have greater understanding, we have greater faith, we have greater hope, we have greater love, we have greater resolve, we have greater purpose, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As these things, and this is what I hope you understand, these things take time. I can remember uh, myself when I used to be amazed at the faith some people had. I, I, would, I would look and listen and watch, and some of the mostly older people, they, they had so much faith that they, they seemed to question nothing. No matter what was going on in the world, it was, it was almost as if they knew they couldn't stop it. 
But somehow they knew they would be okay. While the, while the rest of us were concerned about things, they, they didn't seem concerned at all. And I used to be amazed when I would look at them and watch them and think, my goodness, I wish I had that kind of faith. But I didn't have that kind of faith because I had doubts still. I was still wondering whether or not God is there. I had doubts about almost everything because I hadn't solidified my faith. I hadn't had enough time to absorb enough light to where I could have the kind of faith that these older brethren did. And I didn't know how to do what they'd done. I suppose that even after they did it, they didn't know how they did it. But they had a faith that I thought was most admirable. And I wish that could happen to me. I didn't know what to do. So I just kept on trying to do what was right. Partly because I knew it was right. And partly because my older brethren believed it right. So in part I was following my faith in the Lord. And at the same time I was following my faith in others. Those I trusted. And fortunately I was looking at good examples but this is how it works and it's a slow process and it takes time people are going to vary a young convert won't have the faith of an older Christian won't have the knowledge won't have the understanding one of the things that troubles me a lot of times is when a, when a new convert has an attitude that they, they know it all. And that bothers me. It disturbs me. Because even though they may have some knowledge, they don't have understanding yet. Because that comes with time. Understanding is a slow process. But sometimes some people seem so confident, it makes me a little nervous as to whether or not they're humble or boastful. And of course, we know boastful can be a bad thing. I came with the sword, our Lord said. The sword of the Lord is the word of God. Jesus came for a reason. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. That would be done with the word of God or the sword of the Lord. In John 18 and verse 37, also Mark 138, the Lord said, for this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth that I should bear witness to the word of God. In 1 John 3 and 8, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And just how did he do that? It is written, was his mode of operation. In John 12, 27, the Lord said, my soul was troubled. It was fearful. He dreaded what was around the next corner. And he dreaded it so much that while he prayed, there appeared on his forehead what seemed to be drops of blood that were coming out of his skin. The intensity of his prayer was a reflection of how much his soul was troubled at what was about to happen. What shall I say? He didn't want to go through it. 
He could ask the Father to deliver him from it. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this was the reason I came. It was for this purpose I came to this hour. And he couldn't back up. He wouldn't back up now. He had a purpose, a reason for being here. When he would die on the cross, he would atone for our sins and redeem all those who stepped out of the darkness and into the light and then spent the rest of their light walking in the light as he is in the light while the blood of Jesus Christ continued cleaning them of their sins. I came with a sword once again to divide the light from the darkness. The word of God is uh, very important. It's important for us to know what the scriptures say. It's important for us to understand what the scriptures say. The Bible is not just a bunch of words. It's a communication between God and you. Through the Bible, God speaks to you and you and you, me, each one of us and it's imperative that we understand him lest we misunderstand him and be afraid about what we read because it seems so foreign to the understanding we have of Jesus Christ you've got to be patient you've got to give yourself time you can't expect too much Never take the position, I'm just human, I'm not going to worry about it. But always reaching forward, trying to lay hold on eternal life. If you're not a Christian, you are of more value than you'll ever understand. The Lord thought you were valuable enough for Jesus to die for. How do you understand that? I can't. But he did, and he did. Now, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to walk in darkness? Are you going to walk in this domain of Satan? Or are you going to walk in the light with the Lord, Jesus Christ? you got to make a decision. you got to make a decision. No decision is a decision. By default, you'll wind up in the darkness. If you've not made a decision, choose to walk with the Son of God. I guarantee you, if you do, and you patiently overcome the obstacles you will face, you'll be so happy you did. I guarantee it. <laughs>